from the Michael Witt Centre for Risk Assessment. It's the Rugby League Cemetery. Yes, this is the Rugby League Cemetery. Very good to have you with us yet again uh, for another venture into the grave sites of rugby league history. And we're going back to 2008 today. It's a reasonably recent game. The Miracle of Melbourne. The New Zealand Warriors, 18. The Melbourne Storm, 15. In front of 15,193 at the old graveyard at Olympic Park. Up until this point, eighth in the McIntyre system had never beaten first in the 10 years that they used that ridiculous system. Uh, but they beat them. On this day, Melbourne, right in the middle of their kind of right in the middle of their cheating over the salary cap madness, with far too many good players, got knocked off by a Warriors side uh, that was 13th as as recently as round 18 in the year 2008. It's a it's a bizarre game. It's a bizarre victory. Uh, and Gazzy, uh, when you think about the Melbourne Storm, this is probably the side you think of. There's a lot of players here that you associate with the Melbourne Storm. When you think about the Warriors. Uh, there are very few players in this game that you associate with them. Yeah, look, absolutely right. Uh, the, the madness of Melbourne, you look at their side, you've you got a spine of, of Inglis uh, at 5'8 with, um, with Cronk and the halves and then sort of Smith at Hooker and Billy Slater at fullback. So um, a bench stacked with like Jeremy Smith and Adam Blair and these sorts of guys. Um, and then you look at the Warriors side and we've managed to very skillfully pigeon a Warriors game that doesn't contain either Stacey Jones or Sean Johnson <laughs> <laughs> and, and gone right into the middle of the Grant Ravelli era. And yeah. um, look, it was very, very enjoyable. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You go through some of these players and, and you know, it's the St- Steve Price and Ruben Wiki sort of era of New Zealand, which doesn't, you don't really equate with those sorts of players. It's the Brent Tate era of New Zealand. Um, you know, it, it's not, it's after Brent Webb, who had a good run with that previous good side. Melly and Tupi aren't there. It's a, it's a very, very strange side, isn't it? There's not many left over from that early 2000s side. Logan Swan's there. There's just, it's really pigeonholed in between the Sean Johnson era of sort of unfulfilled promise, but quite, wonderful upside and the era of the really wildly successful Stacey Jones early 2000s. That's, that's exactly right. I'll take, uh, I'll take you through that Warriors side, but that's, your point is, is right. There are very few guys there that you associate with that wild team of the early 2000s. There's no Torpy, Melly, Farfili, Henry, Ali Lowatiti, any of that, Stacey Jones. Uh, this is the Warriors side. Uh, fullback Lance Ohio, Aidan Kirk, Brent Tate, Jerome Rapati, Manu Vadavai across the three-quarter line. Uh, the centers, uh, sorry, the five eighth is Michael Witt, and the halfbacks Nathan Feen. We've talked a little bit about how we keep circling back to games with Chicka Ferguson in them. Uh, mm. This is our second game featuring Nathan Feen. Uh, the forwards at uh, Ruben Wickey and Steve Price in the front row. That's fairly handy. Ian Henderson uh, at hooker, Simon Mannering, Ben Madalino, and Michael Luck across the back row, and a bench of Grant Ravelli, Ivan Tulmavave, Sam Rapira, and Logan Swan, uh, coached by Ivan Cleary. Uh, who at this stage still looks quite a bit like Nathan Cleary and doesn't yet look like Neil Finn, <laughs> uh, which he does very much now. Uh, and the Storm side, as you said, is just absurd. Slater at fullback, Turner, Gaia, Falau, thanks very much, and Anthony Quinn across the back line. Greg Inglis and Cooper Cronk in the halves. 
Jeff Lima and Brent White in the front row, Cameron Smith at hooker. Back row, Michael Crocker, Ryan Hoffman and Dallas Johnson. And the bench, Jeremy Smith, Adam Blair, Antonio Cafusi and Scott Anderson. And coached by uh, a bespectacled Craig Bellamy. Uh, still angry, still in the purple shirt, but uh, wearing <laughs> glasses. Uh, it, <laughs> you come into this game, it, it's, it's a ridiculous mismatch, isn't it? Yeah, like most of the first V8s were. Um, usually there was 40 points put on. A lot of the time there were absolutely the world's stupidest system. Um, and the only thing we have to be thankful for is that it gave us this. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is one of those ones where I couldn't remember the sequence well when you tossed this up because I tossed up watching a later Warriors game, which we beat the Storm, which we will later do. And I, I couldn't quite remember the sequence of events, but I, I do just remember watching it. It's one of those games that I do remember the end. You know, um, I yeah. couldn't remember even the context that it was the first week of the finals, but this Warriors team beating the storm, I remembered because it was just so out of the box. Yeah, you know, and, and um, for people, even now, as good as the storm are now, it's easy to forget how fearsome and dominant they were during this era. They had won the comp in 2007 and, and you know, pizzled everybody, basically. Grand uh, final the year before. Grand final. Grand so, final, yeah. Yeah, grand final in 2006. Premiership in 2007, very convincingly 30 to 8 over Manly in the grand final. Mm. Then they end up making the grand final in this season in 2008. They win the minor premiership. And then in 2009, they win the comp again. So they are in the grand final every year for four years in a row. They win multiple minor premierships. Um, This is peak storm. This is peak nasty, like dominant, unbeatable storm. Uh, Mm. Having said that, Funny looking at the table, they actually finished equal top. They didn't win the minor premiership on points difference, but they finished equal top with Manly, who that's more expected. But Cronulla also finished on 38 points, which I must say I don't have a great memory of. I don't remember that. I really don't. I don't remember them being good at that time. Who was playing for Cronulla by that point? Are we in the... Um, I, I get really funny with times, but are we in the Carney era yet? We wouldn't be. We played for the no, Roosters. No, I don't no, think so. he's out. So, so who's playing for Cronulla? I just can't remember them having a particularly good... So was this... Is it Ricky Stewart's era? Like, what was going on at Cronulla? I think, this might be the, I think this might be the Ricky Stewart era. Yeah. yeah but I will look yeah. into that. Uh, but, it, but you're right. Yeah. I have no memory of them. Like, Equal first. Yeah. Um, they didn't. They, Manly they, had a phenomenal side. Manly, yeah, of I, course. You know, they were, they were wonderful, but I just don't remember Cronulla being particularly strong at that time. You know, another thing about what was funny is um, you, you learn a bit when you go through these games at how history changes over time because they start talking about teams with the best records against Melbourne. And the teams were yeah. uh, one of them was Cronulla, which is fine. The other one was Newcastle. It was, like, yeah. it was just, like, that hasn't held up. We've lost about 15 times in a row, bar the miracle of Travis Waddell and the strip yeah. on Billy Slay. We've possibly never beaten them again. <laughs> I, was tr- I, was de- I was deeply yeah. troubled by that. There is this weird yeah. Warriors hoodoo against Melbourne that has held up mm. kind of all through, even with Melbourne having this incredible side, the Warriors every now and again would still get them when nobody was getting them. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Newcastle didn't uh, didn't go on with it from 2008. That was about the, the zenith of the... Um, the it, yeah, Melbourne it is to be fair, head. about a year post-Andrew John's retiring, and um, yeah. that might have helped us win a few of the early <laughs> ones, but it didn't hold up when we had Tyron Roberts playing after. I, I suspect that's right. But yeah. the Warriors in 2008 had no right to be in this game. Mm. Uh, they... So they only won away from home four times all the year. They won 13, lost 11, um, scraped into the eight by two points over Newcastle. But 
to do that, they were still coming 13th in round 18. They started the year terribly and won eight of their last 10 and four of their last five to roll into the semis uh, over the top of all those sides in the bottom half. There was nothing to suggest that this would happen other than the... I mean, yeah, they were on a bit of a roll at the end of the season, but even a month out from the finals, you wouldn't have expected them to be there, never mind knocking off the, the reigning premiers. It's not a very good side. I'll be frank with you. No. Um, I haven't looked through it. I watched the game and we'll talk about it when we get to it. But I mean, it's wonderful that they pulled it out. They pulled it out with just bits of magic here and there on the field, but they're not particularly well organized or particularly well oiled or particularly <laughs> anything. No. Much no they, they're quite poor in various parts of this game. And it, uh, you couldn't have, uh, it's quite, even after watching this, I don't think I would have tipped them to go as far as they end up going in the competition this year. Um, and I'm sure when they were 13th, you weren't tipping them to beat Melbourne and even after this you're not really you sort of think that was their moment but they go another week they, they get they keep going you know it, it's yeah I don't know it, it's a shock it's just it, there's no they can't beat this team no it's one of those it's just a complete outlier result isn't yeah it? yeah um, it's, it, it's, it's bizarre it yeah yeah and yeah. Um, and, and I, I mentioned at the top that it, the McIntyre system this version with the 1v8 mm. and 2v7 and all this had been in place since 1999 and Eights had never beaten first mm. on the Sunday. It was a procession. This was always the worst part of the first week of the finals. Mm. Yeah. You know, that you would finally get the Sunday. You have the two good games on Saturday night. There's always one of them was always an upset. and It was always exciting. Saturday yeah. was lovely, wasn't it? Yeah, Saturday yeah. night. Yeah. <clears throat> you get your double header on Saturday and then you get to Sunday and it's always, oh, here we go. Mm. I, like, I, you, would, you wouldn't always watch it because it was always like, oh. This is going to be, you know, one's, one's going to pizzle eight. The Monday mm. papers will say they were clinical. Eight will go on Mad Monday and that'll be that, you know. Mm. Um, and there's a real hint of that in the first half in, in a lot of the commentary because they keep saying, and I know you've got some thoughts on the commentary generally, but they keep saying, oh, they're here to play the Warriors, which happened every year, mm. every single year in this eighth versus first game in the first 20 minutes, the commentators would grasp for any sign that the upset might be on. Yeah. Desperately kind of like, oh, yeah, see, they think, like someone had booted into touch and it'd be like, I oh, see, they've come to play the Warriors. This is smart tactics. They, they, they smell an upset here. You wonder why they'd have come to play, like given that they were going to be knocked out of the competition uh, for the season if they didn't win. It's, um, yeah, again, hard to fathom, yeah, hard why, to fathom. They, why they would do that. Um, you know, one of the real quirks of the McIntyre, um, I'm going to try because I just, I don't think our listeners need us to do the McIntyre in excruciating length of how much we hate it every episode, but I can't not say this. Yes. This system is so stupid. They yeah. won a home final out of winning this. Yeah. They, they, they come eighth in the season. They scrape into the finals and they win from eighth position and somehow manage to get to play week two in New Zealand. How does that work? Why? And, and, and not only did they get the to play week this. Not only did they get to play week two in New Zealand, they played against fourth. So the poor yes. old roosters. And I, look, I, but the poor old roosters coached, I think, at this stage by Freddie, um, they lose 24 to 16 to Brisbane in the first weekend, mm. in, in the first week, in the 4v5 game. Mm. So the Roosters have finished fourth, lost in the first week, and then have to go to New Zealand in front of a packed house to play against the Warriors, who've just knocked off the minor premiers. It, it, Thanks it very much. It makes no sense. 
Uh, it really, really just made it, no sense. I know people complain now that first and fourth is the same thing in this new system we have, that you may as well finish. Like, once you're in the top four, it doesn't really matter. So the minor premier doesn't get much reward. But, geez, it's just so much better than this system where you could basically get wildly rewarded for fluking a win from the bottom of the eight and all of a sudden you're playing at home against a team that is... Like, the Roosters, over a course of a season, fourth is a lot higher than eighth. You just shouldn't have to play eighth away. In another no. country, in the second no, week, that's losing to fifth. Mental. Um, yeah, can I just? I, the, the other game that weekend that's interesting: Cronulla thirty-six, Canberra ten. Now Canberra, having finished sixth, got beaten mm. by third. They they lose on the Saturday night, and they don't know what the result means. Now yep. Manly beat the Dragons fairly comfortably, so Dragons finished seventh. They're out. The Raiders going into Sunday would have felt fairly confident. Look, we lost on Saturday night, but we should still be okay because the Storm will win. Um, they end up, of course, getting knocked out because of this. Can you imagine the abject horror on some of the Raiders players and the coach watching the Warriors pull off this result? Uh, but It's a sickening way to go out. And I've said it to you before. Terrible. Like I understand that once you lose, it's a bit hard to then be saying, well, it's not your fault that you go out. But it's just that you deserve to die on your sword. Like You should play in a game in a final. You deserve to die on your result. Like It is just... Yeah. I know it comes to the same thing. You lose... You know, if you win, you can't be out of the finals. But you deserve to win or lose the game and know the consequence. To sit around and have to watch Melbourne v. the Warriors the next day to find out what any of this means, it's just a joke. It's a total joke. Can I, can I share with you the, uh, the Cronulla side, by the way, that played in yeah, this final, that had finished third in the not 2008 season? You're going to enjoy this. Mm. Carney, Brett Carney. Uh, mm. so you asked if it was the Carney yeah. era, it was. <laughs> yeah, the uh, real one, yeah. Missy Telepapa, Brent, Ben Pomeroy, David Simmons, Luke Cavell. There's your back That's line. a fast side, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, speed to burn. Brett Seymour and Brett Kamali in the halves. Oh, the and double then, Brett. Yeah, indeed. And then, Triple Brett. Triple Brett spine. We're on here. Jeez, that's on. Uh, ben Ross, Isaac DeGoyce, Adam Peake, Luke Douglas, Fraser Anderson, and Paul Gallen with a bench of Nutley, Norrie, Snowden, and Blake Green. That's a team. Couldn't yeah. get past the Bretts. <laughs> but crazy. I just, like, yeah, well, that's right. But that side finished equal with the Storm. You know, people talk about yeah. how great this, you know, the, people talk about the Storm cheating. How, how are they four or five million over the cap and still unable to get past that side on the ladder? Well, how are they? Yeah, well, you've got to ask how Cronulla fit three Bretts into the same yeah, roster. Yeah, that's true. How you fit. How Seymour, Kamali, and, and Carney. There's a can lot I, of glitter in that back line, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I didn't expect to hear about Brett Carney, but uh, he was, uh, when I was in high school, when I was 17, um, my auntie was working at the dogs at Singleton, at Singleton Greyhounds. <laughs> yes. And she, um, and, and anyway, Nick Walshaw, who now writes for the, uh, the Telegraph, was working at Rugby League Week. Yeah, Rugby League Week at the time and also was doing the dogs on a Saturday night. Yeah, good. My auntie mentioned I was really into rugby league. So he took me down for work experience for a week to go and do, to work at Rugby League Week. Um, which tragically happened to be the week Andrew Johns retired. So I was like basically a skeleton all week um, at trying to do this job. But yeah, the, uh, the, he took me out to the Cronulla game to go into the sheds and did like an interview with Brett, um, Brett Carney and got like a three line article saying Brett Carney was uh, happy to be filling in, you know, happy to be taking the number one mantle from Peachy. So there's three Jeez, lines of complete yeah. rubbish with no insight um, in print, still available to this day, Rugby League Week 2007. Jeez, that'll get collected sprawling, won't it? Yeah, me and Brett. So he probably been, remembers it too. If Joey, if it was when Joey retired, I suppose that was fairly early. He says maybe April or something. Yeah, yeah a couple yeah. of weeks in. Sonny <clears> Bill <throat> was on the front cover in his Kiwi 
Kiwi uniform. Um, so it must have been around the test as well. Look, yeah, if anyone if anyone's trivia. listening to this and has got a copy of that, I'd love to see it. Have you got a copy somewhere? I don't. One of my mates has got it. I signed a copy for him and it was in his shed, <laughs> but I don't know what he's done with it. <laughs> I presume he's still got it. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't give that away. Um, yeah. Sorry right, about that. It, if any, not at all. That's wonderful. If anyone's got a copy of the Rugby League Week with the Brett Carney article in it from uh, 2007, please do share it with us. Um, this, yeah, that's a, a piece of great, uh, yeah. great cemetery value and very little <laughs> other value. <laughs> now, another thing I have to mention about this game before we get into the, the marrow of it, uh, or two things. One, it's been played at Olympic Park, a.k.a. the graveyard. Melbourne had a 77% record at Olympic Park through their whole history uh, coming up to this game, uh, which is fairly good going, you'd have to agree. Um, Mm -hmm. They'd only lost once at home all year. That was in Cronulla. That was to Cronulla in round two. So they haven't been beaten in Melbourne since the first first home game of the season. Uh, So that's the first thing. I've got some more thoughts on Olympic Park, which I'll share with you throughout the game. But anyway, the second thing, Jason Robinson's first final. I'd forgotten all about Jason Robinson. Yeah, I'm ashamed to say I had too. He's sort of very forgetful as a, in general, isn't he? <laughs> well, I don't not, know, he just not, doesn't stick in the memory. Yeah, well, not after this game because he blew a 12-9 no. penalty count, which is yeah. good. <laughs> so he really yeah, is good. He really asserted himself on the game. Yeah, he blew the, blew the pee out of it, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he gets his first chance in the finals. and mm. uh, Makes blew, it count. He did. Mm. He blew 19 penalties in the first 60 minutes, which I thought was good going. Uh, he only mm. blew, he must have, someone must have given him the word. Uh, from the bunker to say, listen, knock this off because the last 20 minutes he only blows two. But uh, yeah, 12-9 count. And I wonder if that had an effect on the game. I mean, Melbourne, you know, this is peak kind of WrestleMania era Melbourne. Mm. Um, Jason Robinson blew 12 penalties to the Warriors over the course of this game. Maybe it just, uh, you know, took a bit of the, uh, leveled even the game out a little bit. Uh, You know, the fact that he was so keen on the ruck. Well, yeah, it might have, but I was going to say when he stopped blowing them, it got quite chaotic and it probably suited New Zealand mm, to a degree as well. Um, when it was a bit like the more structured the game got, the worse they sort of looked. They didn't look like crossing a try line whenever there was any, any sort of form of no. planning in the game. The more the ball was bouncing on the ground or you know, on the deck or over the, someone's shoulder or someone had fallen over or like whether it was them or someone else, the better they looked. you know, it's the more puffed everyone was and fallen over, the sort of the more was going on for them, the more time they had to plan anything and set it out. It was quite bad, which is, you know, it's funny about this Warriors side that even though they're not, you look at that team on paper, you wouldn't think that it was particularly well suited to zinging the ball around and offloads and dumping in it, like compared to all other Warriors sides, but even compared to mm-hmm. other, teams in the competition like Michael Witt and Nathan Fiend in the halves who hire at fullback and Ian Henderson like it doesn't you don't look at that and go oh these guys are going to be zinging it it's going to be they're going to be entertaining no not really yeah, but for some no. reason perhaps just because they're the Warriors they just did it anyway with yeah, quite, yeah. totally unsuited to it they still just <laughs> kind of the ball just flies around um yeah, yeah it, it, it is very strange but uh the game itself you know you might get a bit of a sense that something is going to happen uh, because the kickoff goes dead. New Zealand kick off and Melbourne let it go dead, which I can't remember them ever doing. Uh, mm. You know, and I think someone inevitably trying to whip up the game suggests it might be an omen. Yeah, they do. Um, that's not a bad segue. I, I, look, 
I think we have to talk Ray Warren, and and this was his first, this was his second moment in this game where yeah. uh, I don't know if he's been drinking or what he's been doing, but because he was he was all right in the final we watched was it was only the year before that the Roosters played the Tigers, yeah, but we're only sorry that two years uh, no, after, the year sorry. after, yeah. two years after, yeah, so yeah. A year after, so I don't know what he what so he wasn't gone yet because I thought he was quite good in the East Balmain game, but yeah, he. he he, he's been drinking or he's been dropped on his head or something. Like, he's just completely off message. This, to, to take you where I'm going, and I'll get to the other stuff later, but when that kickoff goes, he starts really hyping up, going, oh, the kickoff may have touched a Melbourne player. The referee may rule that way. It might have touched a Melbourne player. He starts really speculating as to whether it touched uh. the ball until Phil Gould finally comes in and goes, well, it won't matter whether he touched the ball or not. It's the same result. And so yeah. it corrects him because he, spent, he spends ages hyping up the idea that it matters whether they touch the ball because a kickoff landed in the field, a plane went dead. It's a dropout either way. There's no need to examine whether it hit really? anyone. Yeah. And he really hypes that up, which is completely wrong. <laughs> and he knows the rules because he's called rugby league for sort of seven years. Sort of a long years. time. Yeah. Yeah. And he does know the rules. He's not, he doesn't not know them. And then, just before that, in the pregame, he starts talking. He gets on this weird gambit of mentioning about five times that Israel Folau has never missed a game other than for Origin. He does. And that, that's <laughs> that's really up. great. But it's only his second season. It's not that impressive. He plays in the Senate no. for two years. But he launches out, oh, Israel Folau, you know, he's played 50 games. He's only missed three when they were forced through Origin. You've got to say he's somewhat of a triathlete. What does that he mean? He does say that. I, I noticed that as well, and that didn't make he's sense. A triathlete. Did he mean Iron Man? I think he might have meant Iron Man. And yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of case two. Yeah. Case three is um, really early on. He starts, it's called, he, he calls Jeff Lima the best front rower in the business. He does say that. Yeah. Where was I? When the, did I, I miss something? When did that happen? It, it wasn't a bad play, but when, when did I miss the period of time of humanity? Did yeah. I, was I in a coma? What period of time was Jeff Lima? The game's premier front rower. Arguably the best front row forward in the business, Jeff Lima. Yeah. And how I had it in my notes as well. I have no memory of this. It's worth noting that Steve Price and Ruben Wiki are playing for the other team. Yeah. Like just in, I'm not totally convinced Jeff Lima's the best front row forward in this game. Well, he's not the best on his own town. I don't know that he's better than Brent Weiss. Like, no, I just, yeah. He had a better game. But, like, I mean, so that, I just, I, I'm not aware of that period of time. Um, no. And, and yeah. There's just two more. One, he makes this real point on this no try that we'll get to with Billy Slater's at some point, where he starts reminding the viewers that the video ref is watching from the same elevation as us, like the commentators. And what? What? Why? Yeah. I don't well, know. What, what, just t- tell me why he makes a real point bone of this. He gets up there and goes, oh, the video referee is watching from the same elevation as we are. It, 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 I mean, they're both watching the same picture. It's very irrelevant what elevation he watched from because he's watching a replay from a yeah, camera. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of on a screen. It, it, yeah, it, it just he's and then just like I just have to touch on this, and I'm, I'm sure. sorry, but like, like I couldn't handle this all game. Can someone just stop them fucking saying, explaining things for our Victorian audience? I love that oh, for our Victorian audience and explaining really basic rules of the sport to these alleged Victorians that are watching that have never watched before, who've never watched a game and suddenly thought first versus eighth in the McIntyre system was the time that they had to turn it on. <laughs> just, just call the sport and assume that people watching the semifinals have got some broad idea of the rules. Keeping in mind that Melbourne... 15 times. 15 keep, times. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, keeping in mind that Melbourne won the comp the previous year, I just think that and they've won two already. Yeah, like in their like his, short history. they've been around for ten years, and they they were the best side in the comp. They they've made two grand finals in a row. I just mm. think it's very unlikely that you would watch for the first time for this game if mm. you haven't like if you haven't plugged in for the first grand final, and you haven't plugged in for the second grand final where they won the final premiership with forty points. I just don't know why you're tuning in now. To see them play the Warriors, yeah, it just it I, it was really really upsetting me um, quite a bit because it, I'm not talking about once or twice. I'm talking about 15 attempts, mainly from Rabs and occasionally from Sturlow, of just for no reason explaining things to these mythical Victorian audience that don't understand the rules, but are somehow excited enough to watch the first 65 minutes with no understanding of what's going on. Like the 67th minute, they're still explaining mm. rules of the sport. There's a real mark yeah, it, of. Um, <sighs> It's it's a real mark of how denigrated rugby league was and is in Melbourne. That um, it, it this was one of the few occasions where they where it was on on live. It wasn't on at ten o'clock at night or something like. Even this recently, Melbourne games ordinary like rugby league generally wasn't played during prime time. wasn't like wasn't played at a time when anyone was awake in Melbourne. They would put it on at ten o'clock at night or something like that. Um, <clears throat> this is also a rare occasion in this era where the four o'clock game is on live on a Sunday. Now, mercifully, they've changed this in the last few years. Common sense has prevailed. But I was really, I was triggered by the, even the mention of this week, Sunday football is live. Because it took me back to the dark days of watching the four o'clock Sunday game and it just being riddled with ads for, you know, Kennards makes your job easy and tank world. Yeah, it was appalling. It was just, I don't get me started on this. I've already like slandered Kerry Packer last week. Like, yeah. they just, like, there's no purpose. Like, nobody's watching anything at four o'clock on a Sunday other than this. Why it would be delayed on a Sunday. There's nothing else on on a Sunday to watch. Tank world. There's no reason. World of difference. Oh. Tank world. Just, yeah, that's the sort of thing, isn't it? And you get. You get those six ads and you've got to wait and wait and wait for them to get back and you know until they do an ad for a stupid Channel 9 show, it's not the last ad. That's right. The last ad is always some dumb sort of skating on ice, some celebrity ice skating <laughs> ad for one of their really stupid television shows full of dickheads. Nothing wrong with talking about the You know what I mean? Like, it's, just, it's just every show they ever had that's not rugby league is just full of morons and not that's worth watching. entirely and fair. You just had to get through all the other ads, and until you got that one, you'd sit there and go, "Come on, your next one's." You know, like you'd be watching the Knights play. The Knights fan is ten all with twenty to go, and you're just going, "Come on, come on!" Like get the ads, get back to the scrum. We've got a scrum on the ten meter line, and every ad you just know it's not the last one until you get that. I tell you the other thing. You know what else used to happen? Is you knew that a game didn't go to extra time. Yeah, yeah. So if there were ten, if there were five minutes to go, and it was five to six. And your team was four behind. You knew that you weren't going to extra time. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Which I, which I used to find, find really bothersome. In fact, in one game, um, I remember one, and it was a delay. I don't remember if it was a four o'clock or a, or a Friday night 8.30 uh, delay. But they played, like, they skipped some of the footage in the game. Like, they skipped through the game and missed something. But I remember thinking, oh. why have they done that? This must go to extra time. <laughs> Uh, Triggered. It, it, that's a foul. No good. Whoever. Did, yeah. I hate Gus, them. I remember I hate Gus them. really held the line for years, saying, "No, this is we have to do this because this is how we pay the bills." With like mm. riddling the four o'clock Sunday with ads, um, it was unwatchable, and I'm very glad that yeah. they fixed it. Whoever made the decision at Channel Nine to finally 
allow sanity to prevail. Whoever you are, I'd like to I'd like to buy you a schooner. Um, but yeah, it, it it was a bad phase. I tell you what was a good phase, Gazzy. Mm. The uh, and I was reminded of this. I'd forgotten about it. The the phase of the warriors all having beards. Yeah, yeah, I'd forgotten that too. Um, Captain by Ian Henderson, really. Wasn't <laughs> he was the king of the beards. Yeah, he was the main beard. But I but feel free to add to this. I had Henderson, Vaduve, Fiend, Mannering, Tuamavave, Wiki, Hohaya, Rapati, and Ravelli, all wearing beards. Jeez, that's how do they fit that under the cap? That's sensational, isn't it? Um, big names there. It's uh, you're exactly right though. Uh, Henderson is probably I just pick him out because Jeezy, I forgot how what an angry ant he was. He tried to punch on with about fourteen blokes at various stages of this game. Yeah, he picked a couple of blues, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And they, but you're right. There's just beards all over the park. Some better than others. Even Wiki's very fearsome, no matter what he does with his facial hair. But yeah, it certainly was, adds to the look. Yeah, we talked last week about uh, Gordon Tallis being a bit of boogeyman, and I'm afraid Ruben Wiki falls into the same sort of category for me. Um, yeah, especially during his Warriors phase, he was particularly fearsome um, when he started going the beard and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, anyway. He was um, one of the I, – I can't think of many players who managed to be so good in positions that are that far apart from each other to go from like a really strong centre to a front rower. You see an edge, yeah. you know, a centre go to a second row, but someone to go – from the only other one I can think of is Luke Lewis going from like a test sort of origin winger to a, you know, a second row, like one of the best sort of second rowers in the sport. Cause wings a bit further out than center, you know, that's probably the only one I can think of, but Wiki became like a really leading front rower having been quite a damaging <laughs> leading yeah. center. It's just quite unusual, isn't it? The only other one, not, not as good, but similar kind of player would be Cia Soliola. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That is yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Who started? Who gets clobbered by this version of Scary Ruben Wiki? <laughs> yes, he's a young centre. That's right. Out, absolutely flattened off a kickoff around this era by Ruben Wiki. Just absolutely irons him. Yeah, he wasn't. Oh. he wasn't alone in that. Uh, Sir Soliola. There's a few who cop that oh. sort of treatment from Wiki. Uh, it might have been in that final the week after. Actually, now that you mention it, um, yeah. Th- this game. We might get into the game a little bit. It, it's. It's a weird one, isn't it? It's just a really strange. There's no, you couldn't say there was any flow to it. You couldn't say one side was on top. It just kind of, time just passes. Yeah, I know what you mean. Look, can I, can I nail my colours to the mast here? A yeah, come on, can let's I just, have you. Can I just do it? Look, I, I, when I was watching the start of it, I'm glad we watched it, but like, I, there's a real sense of agitation watching this for me. Um, I, I just let's let's be frank about it straight out. I really can't stand Melbourne. I, I can't stand them. I can't stand the way they play the game. Um, as soon as I put this on, the second I put it on, that wrestle is just so noticeable. This awful wrestle that nobody else in the history of the game has done to that degree. It, the game is just riddled. This was the not only peak salary cap era. This was peak unbridled wrestle where no one was pulling any of this crap up. The further you got along, the more they had to come up with messy rucks or tangles because people were pulling up the wrestles. But at this point, this game is just riddled with headlocks, neck bends, headbutting, where they head they, they were getting their heads and heading it into the other guy's head on the ground to pressure them down. There's ankle lock. Awful ankle locks all game. I, I just Adam Blair is a really horrific offender. There's others. He's not alone. Cameron Smith still to this day does this sort of stuff, but it was more blatant then. He's a shocker. Blair was the worst. He's just blatantly ripping arms and and twisting legs. The headbutting is is, is appalling. Um, 
I just, I can't stand them. And when, when we go through history, I hated the Broncos of 98 to 2000 that we watched the other week. But I look back with a fondness because I admire yeah. the way they played. And it was like, oh, weren't they good? You hated them. And there's that sense of it. Manly are one in the mid-90s. Oh, you're bloody Manly. We used to love to hate them. But you really look back fondly on Tuvi and Cliff Lyons and these guys, Hopper and all that. You know, you hated them, but you look back endearingly on that period there's a, east under fitler they had a team like you, you hated them but you look back and go geez they were good though what bloody freddie was good to watch and yeah. minicello and all this I, I just don't i don't look back at this at all fondly i don't have no. any in- sense of endearing this for them at all the way they play the game was disgusting it was awful to watch it's not within the spirit of how it should be played they got away with it good luck to them they won you know i know it's been taken now but forgetting the salary cap stuff it won and it worked good luck to them because it should have been pulled up by the referees it's not the responsibility of the coaches to work out what's you know they should and shouldn't do but it was just awful it wasn't good to watch it's not in the spirit of how it should be played and it's gross and they can bleed all they like about other teams doing it bullshit no one was doing it like this they were playing a team that wasn't doing it like this nobody was doing these headbutts on the ground and these twists behind your back and the ankle locks it's gross it's it's shit football and i have no time for it and very little time for most players that played in that team here here yeah, I'm on board. I, I, I endorse all of uh, Justice Garrity's comments there. Uh, this, this, is a, this was a rotten era for the game. And this Storm side will never be... There, are, there have been champion sides all through the history of rugby league. Uh, and some of them, no matter who you support, are loved. And this Storm side will not be one. They, the people, they, don't, they will not... It doesn't bother them. They don't care. But that they're not going to be a side that people look back fondly on and go, great, we were very lucky to watch that Melbourne team. You know? Um, they they won't be admired. They're no, admired. They, that's not, right. No. And, they, you know, they probably don't particularly want to be admired. Fair enough. But, uh, yeah, they, they're never, they will not be a side that neutrals ever enjoyed watching. Uh, and there was a part of me when I turned this on, I went, oh, God, what am I watching this for? You know? Oh, I don't want to go back to this. Mm. You know? Um, you know what's funny about it? I, the... I mean, you can't watch a Melbourne game now without this absolute kind of drooling, snivelling kind of uh, indulgent, uh, lyrical waxing of Cameron Smith. Mm. Uh, Every game, it doesn't matter what happens in the game, oh, isn't he good? Oh, the old pro, the wily old master Cameron Smith, he's got him again, all this rubbish, you know. But what was interesting in this game is that there's very little talk about him. The, the one that they seem to really focus on as the star of this team is Slater, um, who is talk Every time he gets the ball, there's a lot of excitement and everything that all the talk in the game is about Slater or Inglis. Um, it's funny when you go, I think now, and this was when they were in their peak as a side, I think now you would say that the two players out of this team who are going to be most remembered as greats of the game will probably be the, the other two, would it be Cronk and, and Smith? Yeah, it may well be the case. Not necessarily fairly. I reckon I might have Slater if I had to have one um, in a vacuum. Um, yeah, but you're, you're but right. It, it has changed because they lasted just that little bit longer at the end and recency means everything. Maybe it'll change in 10 years, you know, because for memory, sometimes it is like when... when Got right at that moment, like right when Thurston wins a comp and right when he's about to retire, he's all of a sudden the best player ever and has to be an immortal tomorrow. But then two years later, Smith's the best player ever and has to be the... Like, it, it does... Yeah. You do get caught up in what's happening at the moment and the fact that Smith's still playing and that Cronk finished the way he did, it'll be interesting when you get a chance to breathe whether people calm down about that and Slater comes back in. But you're very right. They very much were talking a lot about Billy. And I he was always the one you used to watch for. Um 
you know, again, you look at the Roosters now and you're always like, crap, crap, Tedesco, he's near the ball, he's somewhere, he's going to get us, he'll get us. That was what it was like with Billy Slater back then, probably even to a greater degree. As much as people knew that Cameron Smith was a very good player and, and Cooper Cronk, um, you know, he was a good player then and became a great player. Uh, the thought was always when Slater was looming, he was always running on the inside of Cronk or the inside of Smith or then he loomed wide and he, they put a kick up and he was always one centimetre on side and then flying through for the kick. And all game, you, that's, what you, that's what you were sort of as the opposition was giving you the sweats and as a fan, yeah. you were just getting around the field going, oh, he's near there. Oh, he's in a half gap again. Oh, geez, if they pass it, it was on. He was the one that you really thought was going to tear you up, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. and English to a lesser, and English to a similar extent. Yeah, but it... I don't even say that as a strike on Smith, really. It's just funny that this guy who now people remember as the best of those players and the one people talk about him as the best footballer ever. But yeah. at the time yeah. when this side were at, mm. at their peak, mm. he wasn't considered the best player in his own team. No, they're very much Slater. And like, yeah, it's an open question. They play such different positions. I mean, how do yeah, you compare I, that's, I, the yeah. hooker to the, the fullback? But it, it, it is interesting. It's... um. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because it, it, it goes, how do you quantify some of these things? But the, the stuff that I, I just, with Smith, he's, he's been outstanding for a very long time and controlling the game's important. But you and I have had this conversation before that it, it's, it's hard to pinpoint a game where you thought, geez, he just tore you apart. Like Slater has these games and, and Thurston and Johns and Fittler and, and nearly anyone else you can name that's in that class of player. You can pinpoint these games where they just... Geez, he was on today and he just tore everyone up. And it's almost like Smith's consistently excellent. But I don't know if he's ever just ripped aside. There was one origin fairly late on where he ran a lot and ripped up a fairly bad New South Wales side that I will be fair and notice. But for Melbourne, he sort of just does his job extremely well all the time. And he does need your Munster or your Slater or all that to have those outstanding games to, for them to win comps. Yeah. And you've seen it a bit with, with Cronk missing. There's, you know, it, it, it's excellent at what he does, but he doesn't off his own bat really rip a team up, does he? No, and that's that would be, and I, I'm loathe to get into the, you know, debate about immortals, uh, but the, the the strike on Smith, I think, is that um, he he doesn't do things that you remember. But like for me, as a, as a fan of the game, there's very few moments in Cameron Smith's career I can point to and go, oh, God, remember that? Like even Slater, people will be taught, people will remember that try that he scored in State of Origin back on the inside, mm. chip over the top, regather, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's lots of memories from Andrew Johns and Thurston and Lockyer and, and Fittler and all of this um, and Inglis uh, from the same yeah. era. Smith's not like that. And that's, he's a, and his kind of involvement in the game is different. But, yeah, I, you're right. It's, he's not a – you wonder what Cameron Smith would be like if he today or, or if, if he had at the time when he had the offer, uh, if he'd accepted the deal to go to the Titans, you know? What mm, sort of career yeah. would he have had and would he be able to have dragged would, would he have been able to drag a lesser side that wasn't as well coached, wasn't as organised, mm. players weren't quite as switched on. Would he have been able to drag them to success? Would he have been able to really make them a better team? Yeah, so I think, you know yeah, that's right. Because if you look at the guys that I talked about in the same way um, from his era and just before, Thurston, for example, went to a side that had never been successful. Mm. Really, that had never been, that had never won the cup, no. never really been regularly in contention. Uh, and they were right at the top for a lot of years. Uh, Joey, of course, did the same thing. Uh, the 
um, Fiddler at the Roosters joined a team that had never been that had been terrible for decades and kind of all yeah. at least for a decade and took them. Uh, even Inglis went to uh, went to South and kind of took them from yeah building yeah. to winning the comp. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just a I don't and that's that would never be known because he's never left Melbourne and he's done the same thing all through his career mm. in the same system with the same types of players and that's worked for him and good luck to him. But the things that I really value about footballers are the things that you remember and the brilliance. And he's, he, that's, it's not his, that's not his thing. No, that's right. And look, again, I'm loath to get into it because I want to make very clear that he's obviously been in that very outstanding player for a very long time. And I don't begrudge that. He's the best hooker I've, I've seen over, over a long period. And if you're picking a dummy half, even now, I'd still pick him over Cook and some of those guys to play in a game for me. But it's just... It's just so hard sometimes. I, I feel, whilst I feel he's in that conversation and he is very, very good, the waxing lyrical, I always darken when commentators go over the top. And what I find yeah. a little bit is that you watch a game and you watch him do three things that have just been done by Jaden Braley playing for the other team or Andrew McCullough, someone who's just not a name player and just is yeah. doing things. And you're like, the other hooker has just done exactly that. And for some reason, you're just pissing on about it because Cameron Smith did it. Like, it was just a pass or a kick or a normal bit of play. And you're spending a lot of time waxing on about stuff that really, when you show the highlight reel, none of that will make the highlight reel. None of it will be on there. And you're yeah. acting like it was a lot better than it was. And, you know, that happens a lot. But he's very good. Did you know what I mean? Like it's sometimes the commentary and stuff, and the the hyperbole around it is what puts you off. That I find myself going, "He's overrated," only because of that. Where in reality, I'm where aware that he's an excellent player. <laughs> it would be, be, I, be it'd be impossible not to be overrated with the way that yeah. he's talked about now, because it has become its own mythology. And I yeah. think to a certain extent, and again, I agree with you. He's he's a tremendous player. But I think what happens now, and it's a media thing that you know that you've got to have content yeah. and all this, and you've got to have the kind of media exists on strong opinions now and mm. you have to, and everything has to be the biggest and best thing. And what you say now is that in every sport mm. they are right now, the media right now is talking about someone as the best ever. Yeah. In every yeah, single sport. Right. Um, mm. And rugby league is no exception to that, that they just have to, it's like, it, it's just a narrative that there has to be someone playing who is possibly the best player that there's ever been. Um, and if yeah. you go around every single sport, not just mm. in Australia, but around the world, mm. there is someone talked about in that way right now. Yeah, you're right. And, and it goes sort of on the other hand too, that the comparison thing's very important. Like um, the Raiders, uh, to, to time date the show a little bit, uh, this season, having made the grand final last year, had a couple of good wins, beat Melbourne. And there became this narrative actually published in the paper that like, oh, you know, Josh Hodgson's gone past Cameron Smith as the game's premier yeah. hooker. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. firstly, the Raiders basically haven't won again since. And that was just a joke. Like, I'm on Cameron Smith's side having bagged him. Then totally, I was like, on no planet on any day of the week no. am I taking Josh Hodgson. I wouldn't take three Josh Hodgson's on my roster to get to get the not have Cam Smith. Like, it's just ridiculous. But, like, it's the same thing. You're right. Like, there's always got to be bigger and better. So, like, Josh Hodgson's in form and he has to somehow now, because he's played very well for a few weeks, it has to be better than Cameron Smith. Yes, it's just a yeah, pass it's not just, you know? it's not just like enough a, to say yeah. that someone's going well. Yeah, he's but, going really is, well and he's a really good player. Yeah, that, it's that's... this thing. Yeah. Victor Radley now is a really good example of this, right? Where Victor Radley had a good season and made a couple of big hits and did some really noteworthy things. And it's not enough to say Victor Radley's really good and is, mm. has become a good player for the Roosters. It has to be, is he going to get picked for origin? What's the next step? We've got to, what's the next chapter in the story? It's this grand, everything yeah. is kind of, it's this, this, this kind of narrativization. I don't think that's a word 
of of rugby league that it has to be yeah. that that everything has to be a step towards another thing. There's this constant. There's got to be movement and gratification and yeah. I don't know. I I wonder how much of Cameron Smith's kind of hype as the best player ever is about him and how much of it is about the need for someone to be today's candidate to be the best ever so that the papers and Fox Sports can say, oh, we're so privileged to 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 see him. Um, yeah. Yeah, anyway, that, that's... You're right. That's my, that's my dose of anthropology for the day. Um, <laughs> the, the mention of Slater and being dangerous brings us to the first try, uh, a set play where Slater is just flying. Um, I kind of, you forget how quick he was. Like even I know he only retired a couple of years ago, but he he'd slowed up a little bit by the time he retired. So, yeah. But this, when he was in his prime, goodness me, he gets this ball and just attacks the line. It's everything that this try kind of shows everything that Melbourne, at their best, do and did, where everyone's running exactly at the right time in fast, hard, straight lines. Clockwork. He gets the yeah, he gets the ball and just fizzes it onto the chest of the, the 14th immortal, Anthony Quinn, uh, who goes in to score. It's just a beautiful try. Yeah, it is beautiful. Um, to having really crapped on Melbourne and how much I don't remember any of them fondly, if there is one, it's Billy Slater. Um, yeah. I, didn't, I really hated him when he was playing, but <laughs> he, um, he, I mean, I, I probably do look back fondly at Billy Slater because he was just, he played the game. I would have loved to see him play for someone else because like, yeah. the way he played the game, and it works in their clockwork system too, but he attacks everything with such vigour and, and it, it didn't always go right. Like he cost them, well, cups, he cost them like games for Melbourne sometimes, but nine times out of 10, it did go right because he was exceptionally talented and he threw himself at everything. Like he went a hundred miles an hour at the gap, a hundred miles an hour for kick. When you talk about this, like he flies onto the ball at a hundred miles an hour, like, and then he passes it like a bullet. Like he wasn't, he didn't have particularly, he got better as Tom went on, but he never had soft hands. He passed him like out of a cannon, like he'd been yeah. taught pretty late how to do it but everything was done with so much vigor and energy and he happened to be really robust and extraordinarily fast so that all you know he never held much back did he no and he was a great um he was very brave he was not very big and he threw himself into things and threw himself in front of bodies that were much bigger than him and yeah and he was a great competitor Slater he he, yeah I remember being at Leichhardt over one night um on the on the hillside down near the fence and the Tigers, they, the Tigers had this funny run of beating Melbourne at Leichhardt Oval in these bizarre 10-8 results. And Chris Lawrence, back when he was fast and good, went burning down the touchline to win them at to seal a victory against the peak Melbourne team. And Slater couldn't get there in time. And this is just an ordinary regular season game. Melbourne is still comfortably top of the table, you know. Um, and Slater despairingly dives to get Lawrence, misses him. And then he's on his knees on the ground, pounding the turf, like just yeah. furious that, they, that they're going to lose this game, which in the scheme of things probably wasn't that important to their season. Yeah, yeah. He, he was a really great, um, he was a great competitor. And that's, it's a beautiful try uh, for the Storm to go 6-2 in front. The Warriors having kicked the penalty goal early on. Um, the, then Smith kicks a penalty uh, to go 8-2 up. Another thing that I forgot about Smith, at this point in his career, he'd had about 400 kicks for goal and was kicking at 70%. They put the, they put the graphic up on the screen. Yeah, there's a few guys like that that take it. They sort of end up kicking because they're the alpha male of the team. Like, um, that was very much Andrew Johns kicked in the, low, the high 60s for quite a while. Some of these guys yeah. aren't natural. Some of them just 
And it goes to show why you need to, a lot of guys hook themselves or get hooked by coaches or a bit too early because Cameron Smith's an all-time great kicker now, in my opinion. He, he might not kick at 90, but he kicks most of them and he kicks them when they matter. He's a very, very good goal kicker. And uh, Joey was the same, became a very good goal kicker. A lot of these guys, if you actually stick with them and stick it out for a while, they do keep improving. It's not something that you just get in six weeks or you're no good because yeah, it, it's right. You wouldn't think of that now, would you? You just if no. you had a kick from the sideline to win a game. Cameron Smith, having just pissed on him a bit, um, you wouldn't miss it. I, I'd be, you know, if, if you're yeah. playing the Storm and he's got one from the sideline, I'd be going, well, we're off here. We're done. We've lost. Yeah, no, he's, he's a great kicker. He'll kick he's, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And, and a great kick him no calm nerve, him. doesn't miss important yep. ones. And yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was funny. I just, when it, it said 70%, I thought, oh, God. Um, but yeah, the play, they do tend to get better over time. Uh, this is, this game kind of ambles along in the first half and you know the, the Warriors are holding their gloves up and they're not getting they're not getting belted but Melbourne are kind of bashing away and they're in front yep. and you know the, the Warriors aren't really landing a blow on them and then all of a sudden uh, they get uh, they get a scrum in front of the post about 20 out and for no real reason they fizz it wide off the scrum and Jerome Rapati just storms past Israel Folau and scores with two minutes to half time. Beautiful bit of football. Um, I'm glad we got to it because I otherwise would have given him his own section. Um, <laughs> once at the start of the game, I was going to give him a section. Then I realised he kept did quite a few good things. I was very fond of Jerome Rapati. Uh, I thought he was a, a good player. He's one of those guys that just never was really much of a name and he was a bit out of sight. But he was a classy sort of player without ever being paid too much or talked up too much. He could do a lot of good things on the field like this. Like that's beautiful little yeah. bit in a way. It's pretty poor from Izzy, given that he played 50 games in straight without missing any but for State of Origin, if you didn't know. <laughs> um, but maybe if he stopped was... focusing on the other parts of triathlism and worried about tackling, he might have been all right. But he, uh, he stands him up cold, doesn't he? He doesn't show a lot of that athleticism for, um, you know, given how good no, he was. No, he just, he just, goes, he just grazes past him. Yeah, yeah. It's a really soft try. Um, and so it's a, a really good look at the game in general is just that I kept thinking how much I liked Jerome Rapati before the game. And then I watch it and, you know, He's not particularly well-built. He's not particularly tall. He's sort of a sh- on the shorter side and not particularly fast, really. Like, he, you know, he's close. Yeah. And then you look at the guy he's marking up on, and Israel Folau is just like if you were getting into the lab and cooking up an outside yeah. back. Um, he just looks like he's been made in a lab. Like, he's just perfect. And that's what this game was in a lot of ways. It's this sort of guy, like, that had a little bit about him but isn't that big isn't that fast isn't that strong marking up on this guy who's one of you know wow this is one of the best guys in their position and has everything going for them yeah that's you know? right and and it was really um it was quite a shock to not remembering this detail about the game it was quite a shock that that was how they scored because like Ooh. uh but yeah he stands him up cold goes straight through him uh, and so all of a sudden the Warriors going in at all uh going to half time uh, into holding half time as i was reminded by the, by the broadcast uh, a couple of things out of the first half, um, and this happens again in the second half. Peter Sterling remains the only person on the Channel 9 commentary team who's able to identify a 40-20. Mm, yeah, um, I'm there's, glad. I, I, there's one in the first half where there's an attempt uh, and the ball pitches and bounces in. We'll talk about the one in the second half, but on both occasions, Sterlow, 40-20 here. Rabbit, yeah, beautiful. Nobody else can do it. They must do that on the tip sheet. It's know your role. In the midweek, they go, Sterlow, if he's inside the 40, it's on you. Like, yeah. I'm <laughs> right. talking to team me. Because Rabs <laughs> never, ever calls them as possible 40-20s until Sterlow, over the top of him, will go, 40-20, Ray. 
But it's yeah, <laughs> you did it for years. <laughs> it must be really hard. When you know someone is only going to kick on play five, basically, and you know they're going to kick and they pass it to the guy who's going to kick, it must be really hard for the main caller to check which meter line he's within, like whether he's within the four. Yeah. It's just impossible. Got to be yeah, done by could, the sidekick. Couldn't be expected like, to, to it's, follow it's those telegraphs. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, can, I, can I make uh, take you on a slight tangent just sure. there? Just because we we're on easy. Yes. Um, you know what's a really funny? I just thought of it just now. What's really funny is that um, Israel Folau goes to Brisbane the next year, right? Yeah. So can I make the point to you that Israel Folau is still quite a big name now and was in the media last year. There was talk of him coming back to rugby league, talk of him playing for Tonga. He's quite a big noted name in Australian sport now. Can I put it to you that, albeit I don't follow the two sports he subsequently plays, that in this game, we're already at the point where nothing meaningful in his career happens after this. Not really. Like, and he's no. still, like, it we're 11 years or so, or how many, yeah, 11, 12 years past this game. <laughs> well, he doesn't win. And nothing. Does he well, win? Nothing. I know he plays uh, the, for the Wallabies. He wins the John Eels or some rubbish in, over in that sport that nobody but watches never, or cares about. But, yeah. Um, I don't think they ever won. I don't think he ever won anything with the Waratahs. Um, no. Be, so, he might have won, won, won Super Rugby there, yeah. but I... Uh, but you're right. Like as far as the really big stuff that he'll be remembered for, it all really happened in these two years. It's um, all over. Like, people talk of him like a deity, and it's been 12 years really since in the spot that he's much more spoken about in in rugby league than he probably is in rugby union. I'm sure the Wallabies think he's great, but rugby's a world yeah. sport, and he he's not the best winger in rugby union in the world or the best fullback in the world. In rugby league, he was he's thought of in a sort of a mythical Sonny Bill way as being, yeah. oh, this young guy was the best in his position. And like, just, it's just funny that nothing that at, you're watching this game for this guy that's still around now, still playing sport and just everything's already happened for him at that point. That's going to happen really. Yeah, he did. According to uh, Wikipedia, uh, he does have the record for the most tries in super rugby history. Well, there you go. There that's you go. That shows how much attention we've paid to rugby union. Um, we, uh, frankly, a point that I, I stand by, uh, but yeah, it's you're right. Like he, he, rugby league was the thing that made him, and probably the yeah. thing that we remembered most for, um, because it's just got a greater hold on the public's attention than, than rugby union for yeah. one thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is funny, and it, he, he, I'm glad that we've brought him up. I wanted to get to him when he goes on to score a try uh, in the mm. second half, but he was 19 and 103 kilos. It's good going, isn't it? Like playing at centre. Um, Mortifying. Speaking of, uh, you certainly like to think that the the latest follow up to that, that Knight Centre Bradman Best will be playing for the Greater Western Sydney, <laughs> whatever they are in the AFL in a couple has, of years. Has, Bra- has, has, has Bradman Best got a view on same sex marriage? Do we know? Yeah, <laughs> so. Is he heavier than Izzy? You reckon? Is he a bit has of a Bradman, different build? As Bradman Best, maybe that's why Bradman Best got done for uh, skipping COVID protocols. Maybe he was holding baptisms in his backyard pool. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or t- trials with the AFL. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, um, a couple of other things in the first half. Talking of centres, Brent Tate. Now, I've got a theory about Brent. I was very fond of Brent Tate. I think he was a wonderful player mm. who was not going to be remembered as well as he uh, as for being as good as he was. Uh, and I think he was much better after he left the Broncos. Like he was, or well, maybe not much better, but similar to Matt Singh. That like he he left the Broncos and he was kind of off the main stage of the game but played wonderfully well for two other clubs um, after he was kind of a, a big name. Like he played for the Cowboys and was really good there. And he was really good for the Warriors too. I also have a theory that he played that he played his best football after he started carrying that airplane seat in the back of his jersey. 
Yeah. There's yeah, a neck guard. Brace. Yeah. Forget that. I, I didn't like him at the time. Uh, I do yeah. now. I, I recant it because he was a real angry ant and he just used to, yeah. like, he played for Brisbane and would always shove and punch and then Queensland and that. So I was, like, a bit off him. And he had that stupid neck brace. But, like, I was really, like, um, now that I'm prepared to move past thinking his neck brace was stupid. Um, he, he, you're right. He was a very good player. Good and he, yeah. um, well, one of the things, it's a marker. And we spoke about stuff like, how would Ken Smith go if he went and took one of those lower sides? You never know. But one thing, when guys sign from big clubs, especially in the centres and stuff, when you get a guy from a big club who, yeah, he was good at Brisbane, but he was playing with Darren Lockyer and all these blokes, that you often, we saw it a lot with Melbourne, they pull a lot of the parts out of that Melbourne side. They go to other clubs and they don't do anything. And one thing Brent Tate is, he, he could have had a cushy career at Brisbane and everyone thinking he was wonderful, but he left that club and was able to be very good in a lesser side in New Zealand and a lesser side at the Cowboys that obviously got good. He, he was in very good Cowboys sides as well as they got better, but he was able to be a part of that. And it still wasn't the Broncos side. He still didn't walk into, you know, the Cowboys. Yeah, they had Thurston and stuff, but they weren't, weren't what the Broncos were. He was able to go to those clubs and make a meaningful difference and be a good player. And that's a really good sign of how good someone actually is. Like you said, with Matt Singh's a great example of that. It, it is a, a big mark, in my opinion, of guys that if they get the opportunity to go on, on money to other clubs and are able to pull it off rather than sink. Because we see a lot of examples of the opposite, don't we? Yeah, no, that's right. He, um, he, he was, he, he was still a really, a real weapon at both those clubs. They were both very lucky to have him. Uh, it was funny that this Warriors side had a couple of those, right? They had Tate, they had Ruben Wiki, and they had Steve Price, who will all be remembered much better for what they did at other clubs. Yeah. But they picked them up late in their career and all of them were tremendously good in this side. Yeah, they... They were. Steve Price was very good there. Ruben Wiki, you'd probably expect to be. Um, he obviously, yeah. there's an element there where they're going to have a lot of Polynesian players, and he was probably at the time um, for younger people to know this was like, you know, what obviously not as good a player as Jason Talmalolo, but Jason Talmalolo now is your poster boy for the yeah. like They all just love him, and he's a real leader in that community. Um, having gone to Tonga and done that stuff, that's what Ruben Wiki was. Ruben Wiki was a real idol to a lot of the Polynesian guys, a lot of the Kiwi guys and really, really looked up to. So to have him go to New Zealand um, and, you know, whatever example he set on the training park, because he's well known even now as being extraordinarily fit and all that sort of stuff. Like the example he would have set there and the way they looked up to him probably had a really good impact on some of those players there, I think. Just on Steve Price, uh, are you aware that this is the year, or sorry, this was the year after he... (laughs) It's one of my favourite uh, bits of rugby league history, the All Golds Tour. Remember the centenary of the All Golds? You know what's really funny about that? Just two minutes before we started this podcast, I found an All Golds shirt for sale on Facebook and screenshots to, to send you at the end of the podcast. Well, it's very random timing. Yeah, I do I remember mean, 2007, the All Golds. Yeah. The All, Tell they, us about they, it. Well, the All Golds in 1907 was this team, this New Zealand team, that was the first New Zealand team to tour Great Britain. But they had Daly Messenger in the side as an over, as the Australian guest in the team, right? Mm. Uh, now, in 2007, they decided, and they played against the Northern Union, uh, the, the Great Britain side. Mm. Now, in 2007, they decided to recreate this tour. Um, and part of that was they sent the New Zealand team, but they allowed them to have a guest Australian to play the role, <laughs> to symbolise Dally yeah. Messenger uh, and Dally Messenger's involvement with the All Golds. So it wasn't an official test match. It wasn't a New Zealand side. It was the All Golds. 
basically the New Zealand test side plus an Australian. Now, Andrew Johns was initially invited to, to hold this role. He retired early in the season while you were at Rugby League Week. Yeah. Then they had Darren Lockyer lined up to play the Daly Messenger role. He couldn't do it because he had a season-ending knee injury. Trent Barrett was suggested. He couldn't do it. And so to replace, to, to play the role of Daly Messenger in the All-Golds, they selected Steve Price from the, <laughs> from the New Zealand Warriors. I love that. I love that. And this isn't a knock on Steve Price. It was a very, very no. good front rower. But it, it's, um, it's, it's not quite an injury chance. It's not it? quite. Like what Darren Lockyer. I think Lockyer is no. a pretty... I, think, I don't think it would lose gravitas for having Lockyer. I think that's fair enough. You're at a certain level at that point. But, uh, yeah, once you start getting to Steve Price, I mean, how far off were they from getting Grant Ravelli? Well, exactly right. How many more? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they won the first test. Uh, sorry, they won the match, the exhibition match, 25-18, to 18, uh, with Stacey Jones, uh, Stacey Jones, Ruben Wickey, and Nigel Vungenau called out of retirement, uh, out of international retirement to play. Stacey Jones kicked five from five. They also invited several current and former All Blacks uh, who grew up playing leagues, such as Carlos Spencer, Piriwipu, and Ma Nonu. Uh, Ma Nonu would be good. I reckon. And Jonah Lomu was considered, but ruled out due to uh, media and personal commitments. Uh, yeah, yeah and the anyway. Titans contract he was chasing. Well, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, Same, that never happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, can, I, can I make a point? Um, another just two, two things on the all gold concept. One is that it's very good if Stacey Jones was available, that they were urgently trying to get Andrew Johns to play. Like, yeah. um, and, and secondly, flowing on from that, Steve Price is particularly good because if there's one position in that era that they possibly didn't need reinforcements in, it might be the front row. <laughs> yeah, the, right. the two in New Zealand tended to have a fairly good glut of quite good forwards. There might have been, I, I suspect, but they often picked like Thomas Lulawai for 10 years and Lance O'Hire and all these people in the spine. There's a possibility that they possibly could have nabbed a spine player instead of Steve Price somewhere to fill a hole. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I think that's entirely fair. Can I ask you, here's a trivia question. Uh, Who who won Man of the Match in the Northern Union versus All Golds match? I've got no idea. It wasn't Kelly Messenger. No, no, it's in the 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 new one. Yeah, the new New one. one. Well, uh, no, I'm not sure. I mean, hopefully, um, someone a bit silly. I'm going to. Was it an Anderson? I'm going to. No, it wasn't an Anderson. Unfortunately, it was a 19 year old. It was a 19 year old Bradford tearaway by the name of Sam Burgess. That was Uh, Was it now? Yes, it was. That that holds up, right? Um, Yeah. That's the last question on, on on this. So this was 2007, wasn't it? Yeah. Does that, that mean Benji? Did Benji play with Stacey? No, he didn't. No, Thomas. No, Wood did he? Well, Benji same thing. You don't lose anything might there. Have, <laughs> might have been during Benji's knee pro, uh, angle, uh, shoulder oh. problems. Parrot, I just Dale, wanted Bunganard. footage of that. Yeah, yeah. likewise. That's the Stacey and Benji. Yeah, the that's impossible the dream. Thing. Yeah, it was quite yeah. a spine for the All Golds. Sam Parrott, fullback. Lula White Jones, halves, and uh, David Foyubu mm. playing hooker. Anyway, we can <laughs> see why they went for Steve Price. You can see desperately needed. You were sort of set in the spine. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't need, yeah, even if Joey had been available, he probably would have started on the well, bench. Uh, how yeah. many boats would you be paying David Fayumu to fit under that salary cap? You know, the second contract and the boats. So like, we're on Melbourne at the moment. Geez, that'd set you back a bit. Yeah. So you would just, I just mentioned this because when you think about Steve Price playing in 2008, mm. you have to remember that by this stage, he's a capped all gold. Now, <laughs> uh, they come out for the second half. Uh, Rabs makes a valiant attempt to try and explain the difference between the two McIntyre systems to the Victorian audience and points out... Which that, they're very interested in. Yeah, which point, and pointing out that the AFL used to hold, used to use the stupid McIntyre system the NRL was using and then they've changed. Mm. Um, 
which it was just nice of him to sort of have a crack at that. There is a terrible botched bomb uh, by Lance Hohaya, which Slater nearly mm. scores from, apart from the fact that he tackled Hohaya out of the way. And then all of a sudden, five minutes into the second half, there is one of the great finals tries. It, this is madness, this. Um, mm. Gazzy, I'll take you through it quickly. I made notes on exactly what happened. Just try and stay with me here, people. Ivan Tulmavave plays the ball. Now, nothing bad, ever big comes from, nothing bad ever comes from that. Um, yeah. That's how some of, the great, some of the great pieces of football begin. He plays about five out just to the right of the posts. Gives it to Fiends in a dummy half. Great thing about this New Zealand side is that they take Henderson off, put, Fiend, put their starting halfback into dummy half and bring on a bench halfback. He gives it to Ravelli. Ravelli to Hohaya. Hohaya's tackled, dumps it out the back. Uh, he dumps it out the back to Fiend. Fiend gets through a tackle, gives it out the back to Michael Witt. Michael Witt dummies long out to the other side of the field, then runs back inside, offloads it out the back to Tulmavave again, stay alive. Mm. He then dumps a pass out the back to Rapira. Then Ravelli gets it. Ravelli, for some reason, on fourth tackle, grubbers it in behind. Amanu Vaduvai, like a freight train, slams onto the ball and puts it down. That's rugby league, my friend. Oh, isn't it? Um, yeah, baby. That- that end of that warrants so much comment because what happens is Billy Slater and Manu Vadavai are getting to the ball at exactly the same time at full yeah. pace. And having just talked about how brave Slater was, he didn't want a lot of this. They were getting there at identical times yeah. to the ball on the try line. And he sort of, like, he, he puts, he does put the effort in, but he looks grimacing. Like, he really has this grimace yeah. on his face and he doesn't really want to. Well, he, he still does. To, he decides to try and hit the ball. Yeah, yeah. He puts himself in the line, but... He's got a real look of this isn't what I want to be doing with my Sunday. <laughs> and yeah. I don't blame him. Um, you've said all there is to say about that try because how else do you talk about it? Two things. Uh, one, people forget how big Manu Fatify was <laughs> because, like, they talk That's about true. these big wingers. He is so much bigger than Rad Radra and Sivo and, and, and Ferguson and, and Corey Oates and these guys that they talk about big wingers. Yeah. He is so much bigger <coughs> so than that. Like, his, yeah. his thighs are just so wide. And I loved him. He was one of my favourite players for 10 years because he was... I've never seen a player that was so destructively brilliant and unstoppable and so woefully terrible. Yeah. Moment to moment. Not game to game. Not round to round, season to season. Like, moment to moment. He could just do some of the worst things I've ever seen on the field and just be rampagingly, like, unstoppable for all-time greats of the game could do nothing about him. You yeah, know, like, no is, one could stop him that's at true. any moment. But then he really could well, stop himself. <laughs> which is really well borne out by the fact that he hits it up off the kickoff and drops it off after yeah. scoring this try. Yeah, oh. Hey, I just love him. I, I, Sterlo calls him great for our game, I think, at one point, which is just so true. And um, yeah. off Manu for a moment. By the way, there's a lot of speculation for a long time that he was going to become the next wiki, like move into the pack. Um, which, yeah, it would have yeah. been keen as well. Um, the only other thing I was going to say was just that uh, you talked about the bench halfback. So I, I was waiting for a time to bring up Ivan Cleary. Is one of the matter coaches is, over his yeah. career. And uh, what I wanted to identify was just that he really got saved by his timing. If he had to come around in the NRL era where everyone was taking everyone off every 10 minutes with seven, you know, oh, like the, the Parramatta played four halves. Yeah, unlimited yeah. interchange with, you know, like, I think Brian Smith played four halves combinations. He would have had his career ended and not made it because he needs to be saved from himself. Like even under these rules, Lance O'Hire is suddenly playing fullback where he clearly doesn't have a lot of experience and it's yeah. quite noticeably not got it. He's bringing halfback off the bench. Um, when he coached Penrith, he had this wonderful time where <laughs> he was bringing 
Peachy and Cartwright off the interchange bench to both play edge back row. Every other team played 80-minute edge back rows. And he'd start two on the bench and shift like a second rower into the centres and a centre back to lock forward to get these guys on and take a play. He just moves yeah. all these parts around. And if he had to come through <laughs> in the mad era that we've talked about of unlimited interchanges and all this, he just would have ended up blowing himself up. He's got too much going on in his head. Yeah, he was, so a, he just tink, needs, he was a tinkerer, was yeah, he? And like a he real needs fiddly, limited yeah. interchange. Yeah, you've got to give him this is all you can do with a game so he not sort too of saves himself from stuff. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah, that's true. Did you enjoy the... Uh, did you enjoy the, 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 the anecdote about Manu, uh, Laurie Daly running into Manu, Manu Vadovay's uncle in Wollongong? Did you get yeah, onto this? Was, that was another Rab's drunk moment. It was a really <laughs> bad story and it was put across really terribly. If you want to explain it, I'll give you some thoughts afterwards. But like, Not really. It's just he just, yeah, it's he just, repeatedly claimed that Laurie Daly's uncle met Manu Vadovay's uncle in Wollongong and that the uncle told him that Manu prefers to be called Vadovay, not Vadovay. That was the story. Yeah. And if you're confused, blame Laurie Daly. And like, it was just, yeah. it was just weird. Like at the end of the day, like the story basically was, I apologize. <laughs> I've been calling this guy for the wrong name for a couple of years and he's now had it corrected and we're happy to change it without this like anecdotal Laurie Daly running into Manu Vadovay's uncle. Yeah. It, it was weird. I, I, was, I just reckon he was on the beers. He had a really, he was off message all game. And, I've really enjoyed listening to him at his best again because he's abhorrently bad now, Rabs, and he was wonderful. But he just had a... I don't know. You know what it might be? Nothing more than... You know how we took... You know, that Roosters-Tigers game, it was supposed to be an okay game and you get up for it. I wonder if first V8 where he was, just wasn't that up for it. Like, he hadn't possibly. done it. You know, you can Quite get... You know, he got ambushed. Like, he just wasn't... He yeah. possibly showed up like everyone else and thought this game was going to be a cakewalk and just didn't do much... Prep because that he was might just be really right. off message. Well, they never game, used to call the Warriors. They never used to do much of the Warriors, so they probably didn't. Yeah. Like, you didn't often see them, uh, and you didn't often yeah. hear about their players. Much, much like the Cowboys a few years earlier. Have you ever run into Laurie Daly out of interest? No, I haven't. My old man ran into him once. But yeah, no, I, I, I saw him once. Had the pleasure. At a, uh, saw him once at a Bruce Springsteen concert. Uh, in the yeah. yeah, the boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, was, what, what, what did he rocking out? Was he on the? No, on the floor? it was before the show. It was he was walking around with a with a glass of wine. Unfortunately, uh, uh, but geez, of course was, he was. Yeah, but geez, it was good to see him. Uh, yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, hairpiece hair this stage. Hang on, Laurie. No. Yeah. No, no hairpiece. No, I didn't yeah. see the hairpiece, but I I did think about stealing his chair, Gus Gould style. Um, <laughs> just uh, did you get on a Rabs spotted a Hopper lookalike in the crowd? <laughs> really, like oh, went that. up for it. What was that? He just said, there's this bloke, there's this Warriors supporter. After Michael Witt with the Johnny Wilkinson mm. squat, which I'd forgotten about, puts the kick over to go 14-8. Mm. There's this bloke, there's this big burly bloke waving a Warriors scar- mm. uh, flag around in the crowd. And Rabs just goes, oh, is that John Hopawati? It looked like him. <laughs> <laughs> Good chat, that. It's really, it's, um, I think I'm very keen on as a concept, and, and you know this, is spotting... Mm lookalikes generally Hopper. but mm. Hopper lookalikes in particular yeah they're very yeah. very good um Michael we, we should mention just quickly the kicking style was it's worth mentioning he was a dead-eye goal kicker I Ooh, forgot yeah. how good he was he was yeah. a very very good goal kicker he made a little bit of a career for himself didn't he? he he ended up going to union which I'm not sure suited him it was a blow in the code wars sort of Darren Smith style <laughs> but it, it wasn't um you know when he was in the NRL albeit like as a guy that will never really be be remembered sort of 
like some of the other guys, he, he, he did a job, didn't he? Like he was able to play yeah, at that level. He, did, he was yeah. a dead-eye goal kicker. He fitted into a couple of teams that did reasonably well and, and played a part. He, he wasn't a bad player. He yeah, I think player. he'd be entitled to be happy. He made quite a bit of his ability to, to have the yeah. career that he did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, very good goal kicker. Very oh, yeah. He, he yeah. smacks a couple of these. Um, the, shortly after this, um, <clears throat> Israel Folau scores. It's Smith. It's a classic Smith setup, isn't it? Where he just jumps out of dummy half, takes one step, mm. and puts over someone big and fast mm. um, with the defence flat. Um, mm. Folau goes over one on one with Rapati, which is a bit of a square up. Uh, Rabs bellows out another victory for Israel, uh, which I assume, <laughs> which I, I assume <laughs> I, I missed that. Yeah, I, I, I assume is a reference to the Six Day War. Um, probably, he, although, I didn't know he was anti-Palestine. Oh well, evidently he did. I don't know. He must have. He, I didn't realise Rabs was a Netanyahu plant. But uh, anyway, <laughs> he does another victory for Israel. He says, um, which I was quite rattled by, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. Smith misses the kick. Uh, it's fourteen twelve, and then Smith kicks a penalty with. Uh, 14 minutes to go to go 16 all. And at this point... 14 all, yeah. Uh, sorry, 14 all, yeah. Um, and you wouldn't know, really, that with 20 minutes to go, there aren't many more points to be had in this game because, really, this should be the moment they kick away. They kick the penalty to go level. Cooper Cronk bangs a beautiful 40-20 from the next set. Mm. Um, and this is it. They're going to score and they're going to go on with this Melbourne. Like, the Warriors have fought gamely, but 20 to go all square. You're on Melbourne every time. Yeah, and it looks that way. They're just starting to get a bit of um, that real... Cause the, the game didn't have a lot of rhythm, if we're, as we've said, and that sort of threw them out a little bit. But at this point, they just do get a five, ten minutes or so where it just starts to chug. That, that engine sort of feel they used to have where it's just going, 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 and everything's working well, and the Warriors make a few dumb errors. And they, there is a sense. It's not just what you think will happen. It does appear to start happening. The yeah. Warriors just make a few dumb errors. Melbourne start just really hitting their groove. It was like, you know, they used to watch them. They like clockwork. Everything they're doing is just this predictable pattern that works. But it's just, yeah, it looked like, nah, here we go. It's unfortunately, they're going to get them by 12 here. They're going to score twice and then start kicking the ball in the touch. You know, like kick a late penalty to win by 14 or something. And then for some reason, they just start dropping the ball a bit themselves. They lose their way a bit. Mm. And the Warriors have a couple of goes at them. Uh, And there's an incredible save where Vadovai out jumps Turner uh, and Kronk comes in and knocks the ball out when Mm. he's just about to score. Um, all of a sudden, the Warriors could have hit the front. Uh, and then with 12 minutes to go, a long way out, um, Greg Inglis decides to just slam this field goal over, which, as Rabs points out, is still going up as it goes over the posts for about oh, 30 he out. Did oh, he hit it well? Doesn't he just? And that's 15-14. That's uh, and inevitably, mm. when a field goal is taken from uh, more than about five minutes to go in the game, the question is, have they taken it too early? Yeah, but it's too early to be in front, you see. Yeah, that's right. Like, you, don't, you want to sort of stay equal for longer. Like, you, don't you got to time your run. To a lead. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, to, to be fair, like, it's always funny when they say that because like, have they taken it too early? He's about 35 out with nothing doing at all. Like there was no like, sense not, They're not was... getting points otherwise. No, no, yeah. no. Like he would have kicked to the corner and, you know, New Zealand would have started the ball 10 out from the try line if they didn't knock it on or something. And instead they start they get the ball back with a point lead. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do always find that funny. I mean, I'm not saying you should take it from the first minute, but the sense that it's too early to be in front when you're entering the, the final sort of stretch of the game is a bit odd. It's such a um, weird game. This I'd forgotten that they took a field goal. So uh, I love when teams yeah. lose with a field goal. Like they yeah, just, field goal still don't win. 
Um, they're just fun scorelines, like eighteen yeah. fun scoreline. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Warriors get a penalty shortly after this from halfway. They're running this into the good. wind. Mm. They're mm. halfway, and Michael Witt's goal kicking has become has apparently become such a talking point in this game that a penalty on halfway, running into the wind, Gus starts talking up. They should take the kick. They should. Yeah, that was this mental. Is, this is in range. You can put this over to go one up. <laughs> There's, there's, there's quite a considerable amount of time left. Yeah. And, and and if they don't kick this, they get to kick it 25 metres further down the field and touch. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a binary choice of kicking the goal and not kicking it. Like you actually instead get the ball 30 to 25 metres out from the try, the try line. And five yeah, it's good, that. Um, it's good that. There's a real run around there. I don't know whether I, I lose my sequence a little bit, but the Warriors do make a good run at them where they are held up a few times. And they make another run soon after the field goal where I must say they would terrible near the try line every time they had time to set something up it was flat and awful and it's not that surprising when you look at their spine you know her hire was a reasonable 5-8 okay 5-8 playing fullback and you know you're playing Ravelli and and Fiend who I must say Fiend's now played in two wonderful boil overs so full credit to him but they have that in Henderson and and these guys and you know there, there was they really were not throwing all that much at them and when they did it was off the cuff, someone to throw an offload and it was really on. But when they set up plays, they had a lot of chances to actually ice this. Yeah, the Storm do earlier. defend. I would, I, would, uh, I would water that down a little bit by saying the Storm defend mm. superbly and make a lot of last-ditch kind of tackles where someone looks like yeah. they're going to score and get hauled down a yard out. But Yeah, yeah, they do. But all of that's but, off one-off efforts. Like, the actual structured plays are really quite poor. Like when there's the not Warriors, a lot of good attack in this game. No. Like, the, the tries, the, apart from that yeah. wonderful Warriors try, there's not a lot of good attacking football. The game just... This is what I said at the start. Like, it just... It just happens. The time just passes. Yeah. And there's no... There's very little excitement about, oh, they're about to score. There's very little end-to-end action. It just kind of... No. It kind of just chugs along. Um, and then... With four minutes to go, Michael Witt tosses up this horribly tame bomb, which Slater catches quite easily 10 metres out. Um, he advances up the field, and Nathan Fien, boil over king, does the yeah. old one-on-one strip, which yeah. is stunning yeah. because you never, never saw, saw them. them then. No, never. No. It never happened. and He lost a few, Billy. It's a real (laughs) shadowing for the future. It did. And so he gets one-on-one stripped uh, by Fiend. And then the Warriors don't at any time set up for a field goal. So they're 20 metres out and they have a full set of six with three minutes left. Mm. And they, they just don't set up for it. They don't try and kick one. Rapira ends up, I think Sam Rapira ends up getting dragged down on last tackle a couple of metres out. And Sturlow starts speculating that the Warriors might think they need to win this in normal time. This is a really mental, <laughs> mental bit of play and commentary. Firstly, good. there's three minutes left. And this is what goes to what I was saying with their attack, where it was really un- like nothing good happened that they planned. Like one out, great efforts by players got near the try line, like a bit of brilliance. But when they put a play on, it was bad. And they get this set and they need to put a play on for a field goal. Or at the very least, you need to try and score four times. And then the fifth one needs to set up the field goal. Yeah. They make no attempt anywhere in the set to do that. But after all their own sort of, despite their own lack of interest in doing it, they do actually end up where Michael Witt is 10 metres in front of the post. Yeah. Bang in front, you know, yeah. with a kick that I would be fairly confident I could hit. 
You know what I mean? Like, as someone yeah, who doesn't practice field goals and doesn't yeah. play, he's ten meters out in front of the post. Like, for someone who doesn't <laughs> play football and was never any good and never practiced field goals, I'd be half a chance of kicking that. And yeah. he just doesn't show any interest in doing that. And they they spread the ball and like it's, it's a really tame spread that comes to nothing. And yeah, it's still like oh, they've got they've got they feel like they've got to win it in regular time. So is that helped in any way by staying behind with three minutes? What chance were they planning on getting? And I know that I'm going to be sort of overruled yeah. here by the fact they do win it. But like, what was the plan? With three minutes left and you're attacking the try line, why yeah. were they thinking now is not the time to score the point that we're behind by? Because we know. need to stay patient and score it when? Got to stay you behind. Know? Well, they're vindicated. They're they vindicated, get the ball Cassie. back, keep in mind, if he kicks it. If he kicks yes. it, they do get the ball back with two minutes with left. Three or, two so, or three minutes yeah. left, yeah. So they kick it and they do actually then get the ball back as opposed to not kicking it, staying behind and Melbourne having the ball with like, yeah, a, a set each left. It's, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre comment. It, it is, and the whole because the, the, it never they never look like they're setting up for the field goal. It never it, there's no, no hint no. that that's what they're thinking about. They just try and score with their fairly ordinary attack, and, and then and still have a chance to do it and yeah. don't take it. Like after all that, they accidentally don't end up in a bad position to do it and, and don't. still don't take it. <clears throat> Wind yeah. is quite flat at the line. Like even though it's still kickable, yep. it's not mm. it's not deep in the pocket or anything. Um, yeah. Then. With two minutes left, the most stunning thing happens. Um, they're 30 out from their own line. Michael Witt spreads the ball to Rapati, who again just fends off the It was off off a 20-tap, that set, wasn't it? It was a 20-tap. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 I think so. Um, yeah. Just while we're on the 20-tap, wasn't it good to hear that, that kind of dribbling nonsense about the Melbourne in goals again? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't possible to have a yeah. game at Olympic Park. Why? Two Ooh. things about Olympic Park. Why did they never feel like, why did they never get rid of the running track? Yeah, having not had any running there since possibly the Melbourne Olympics. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And then the stupid in goals, which you couldn't, it was, I think it was law at the time that you couldn't commentate a game at, Mel, at Olympic Park mm. without talking about the in goals and how whoever the halfback was for the storm was the expert at kicking into those in goals. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. And that became a tradition, which, which, uh, well before Cooper Cronk, uh, but he took it, you know, he kind of took that hype to another level. Oh, Cooper Cronk is very good oh, yeah. at these, these narrowing goals. Anyway. Yeah. Like they get us like they're thirty out. They spread it to Rapati, who again breezes through Falau. Same weight, by the way. Like the big step in and away just does him again, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. Gives it to uh, gets to about halfway. Gives it to Big Manu, who stomps down the touchline, trampling. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, it's like it's in the mould of the 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 Lomu. Rugby World Cup try where he just starts trampling yep. people down the touchline. Then he starts to come in field. Somehow finds Michael Witt, who runs into the clear. And this is one of my favourite moments in all of rugby league. Mm. And I would like to put it to you that it is the biggest unpunished brain explosion in the history of rugby league. And I'd like to put it to you, Gazzy, that it is as bad as anything Paul Carriage did. You know, they talk about him... They talk about it at the judiciary all the time that, you know, mm. that they shouldn't rule at the judiciary. They shouldn't decide suspensions based on what injury occurred. Mm. You know, just because you happen to break someone's jaw doesn't make that a worse tackle yeah. than the one that didn't. Yeah. I don't care what Paul Carriage did. Nothing is dumber than what Michael Witt does at this point, but he gets into the in goal to win the unwinnable match with two minutes to go against one of the best mm. sides ever put together. And instead of just putting the ball down and securing the bit, he holds the ball above his head and just kind of, he spins, he kind of pirouettes 
He does a pirouette first. He doesn't check if anyone's near him. No, he no. just does a full pirouette in the in goal, standing up, yeah, in the corner. And then holds yeah. it above his head and then finally puts the ball down. Yeah. Uh, just as someone is, just as Slater, yep. the quickest man in the comp, is charging at him, trying to knock it out of his hands. And he like, stands there with it over his head, daring them to come and tackle him to stop him scoring like a kid, like a primary school kid in the playground. I've got this, come and get it, bang, and scores just in time as really sort of teasing them. It's as bad as Paul Carriage did. It's insane. It's so funny. It's so funny to them. <laughs> it's a them of all sides. Yeah. <laughs> have this, get this up. It's, yeah. It's good, isn't it? I just, I remember it. And I remember watching it. And I was quite, by the end of this game, I was quite invested because I, like you, hated the storm and loved it. And the idea mm. that they'd get knocked off by the Warriors was wonderful. But mm. like, <laughs> why? <laughs> Put it down. Oh. I can't. I just don't know. I've got no words for it. It's bizarre. Like, just to reiterate, in case anyone hasn't seen it, and you really just do need to go and see it, like, he gets into the in goal, and he's actually being chased, and they sort of slow up because he's in the in goal and it's over. And instead of diving, instead of placing it down, he does a full 360 and pirouettes around to face the chasers, who he doesn't hasn't really checked where they are. No. And like Morgan says, just holds the ball over his head in triumph and goes, come on, come and get it. And they wait till right when they're about to stop him scoring, puts it down at the last second as they dive outstretched hands to stop the ball hitting the ground and cause him to knock on. And he just yeah. gets it down as they slide in. And it, I, yeah. I just, I just, have to, like we think about the greatest brain explosions in rugby league history. I think mm. this, the fact that this didn't result in him dropping the ball or getting mm. tackled. Doesn't change how dumb it is. <laughs> it's, no, it's, how insane it is. It's number two, number two of all time. And number one will always be when Lance Thompson was trying to take that hit up off the cut <laughs> from Nathan Brown. And Lance Thompson trips over himself, falls over to the ground and is falling, you know, mid trip in front of him. And Nathan Brown passes it anyway into his head as <laughs> the guy's falling over. <laughs> because the guy's fallen over and Nathan Brown's taken the tap and is supposed to pass to him. So he just does it anyway. So the guy's fallen over, throws it into his falling body and then Oh, you shouldn't have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the great thing about that, coach us. So yeah, like, well, yeah. yeah, roster management. The great thing about that is that they were, it was in a game they lost seventy to ten. <laughs> <laughs> it's just oh. like just tragic farce. Anyway, yeah. I just, yeah, the Michael Witt. I remember it so fondly, and yeah. like I remember it so fondly now, but it still causes me anxiety. It caused me great yeah. angst watching it 12 years later last night. You just think this time they're going to stop him. This time they're going to get there and yeah. knock the ball out of his hand. You know, we've said about like, we've said about Michael Neal breaking through in the 89 grand final, yep. but even watching it later when you know that he didn't score, you think he's going to score. It's like mm. that. It's like, oh, that was dangerous. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it's, um, you know, just after that is one of the most endearing, not, not to steer away from it. It's one of the most, I think the most endearing on like images for that game for me. And I just love it. Is that, Cameron Smith, to his, to his credit, is chased all the way and then tried to chase his wit, taunts it above his head. And he lunges, doesn't get him, and sits there on his knees in the in goal with his head in the like head facing down, sort of defeated, going, how did this happen? And mm. Nathan Fiend runs into the in goal. Like, it, it, Nathan Fiend's that real sort of bogan little Queenslander type, like that real mm. bogan sort of, and, you know, like that rough face and, the, and, and all that sort of, like, little sort of chirpy halfback. And he's jumped onto Michael Witt's shoulders, like, but fully red in the face with, like, 
excitement and just whilst hugging Michael Witt is just baking the crap out of Cameron Smith on the ground. Just spraying yeah. like Cameron Smith, who is now like absolutely rusted on to being a mortal of the game, considered one of the yeah. greatest leaders, greatest players to ever play the sport. And Nathan Fien is on Michael Witt's shoulders, just absolutely spraying him, yeah, giving him an absolute verbal torrent as he's sitting there defeated on his knees. And it's just something that's a, rugby league is such a wonderful sport like that. It is. You get these, these moments, you know, where things happen. The other year, I was watching a game and like Suaso Sue just clobbered the hell out of Cooper Cronk. Yeah. They just belted him in the back deck. In games. <laughs> Sometimes you just get to see these ordinary players or these sort of middling players just have their moment over the yeah. giants. It's of very, the game, you know? it's very democratic, isn't it? You know, there yeah, is a, yeah. there's something very. It's the, the, there is a bit of a leveling. You know, it is a great leveler. Uh, this everyone gets done in at some point. At some yeah. point, everyone gets done in. Everyone has their moment. Yeah, it's <laughs> like most is like says. Sooner or later, everybody gets shot. Um, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and anyway, and, and you know, Melbourne kick off with eighteen seconds left, and uh, uh, they sort of throw the ball around about thirty-five times, all backwards, and finally the uh, the ball hits the ground, and and the Warriors win the game. Um, I, it's just unfathomable this result, and it was. It doesn't even really make sense on the balance of the game. Like, there's nothing about this no. game that makes you think the Warriors are going to win. Um, but I really enjoyed watching it, I must say. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. It was, uh, you know, uh, we'll certainly make sure we get uh, Sean Johnson and, and Stacey Jones era games in there. But this was really a great game in a very similar vein to the, the Cowboys-Bulldogs win. It was a wonderful moment for the game. There's a few Kiwi fans in the crowd, obviously, in the minority that look like they're having the time of their life, yeah, which yeah. is wonderful, you know? Imagine yeah. imagine going to that. Like, if you, you know, you put yourself in their shoes. If we were following Newcastle and they've come eighth, you know, out of being 13th, made a run into eighth, and then you get the storm, like, and get it. Imagine going to that game and getting them, like, in a... Oh, yeah. From that position. That, it's, it's yeah. Un- imagine the day you're having as a, as a fan. It's, it's Just a little bit. I reckon there would have yeah. been a few of them do a fair job at the Crown later on that night. Oh, <laughs> I think yeah, that's next yeah. stop is straight over to the Crown. Just yeah, see, absolutely. See in the morning. Yeah, yeah. That's a, good luck to wonderful. That's, that's what I'd be doing. Um, wasn't it good to see... Uh, I. I can't I can't do a storm game without talking about Ryan Hoffman. And do you remember the Ryan Hoffman St Gregory's goalpost incident? No. So Ryan Hoffman, I just had I had this in my notes and I wanted to go back to it. Yeah. Ryan Hoffman in schoolboy football in the Arrival Life Cup playing mm. for St Gregory's, one of the great Arrival Life Cup schools, mm. ran head first into the goalpost and had to be stretched off. <laughs> I hadn't heard yeah, that. and I just put it to this. I don't know. I'll try and find it, but I'm sure it was him. And every time I see him, I think of that. Despite the fact that he played about 300 first grade games and won two comps, yeah. I still yeah. think of the fact that he, or however many comps he won. I just, I always think of the fact that he had to get stretched off um, from the arrival of cup for going for getting completely knocked out by the goalpost. Um, I just had to mention that because if I didn't, no, I would have really regretted. Didn't. I would have regretted Did it later. See, um, he was also oh, one of the great. One of the great criers in rugby league. Mm. There's nobody's cried after as many games as Ryan Hoffman. Yeah, he did cry a lot in rugby league, didn't he? Yeah. Um, Did you get onto at the end something that was really noticeable, really, I thought was really wonderfully endearing? Is Ruben Wickey's played about 300 games or so at this point of rugby league, and he's played at every level. He's won grand final with Canberra and all this. And they get him on, and like he's a really most chilled out bloke. It's really cool. He's gone, oh, yeah, great win. You know, we we believe in ourselves. And they they go to end this interview with him, and he's like, and they go, they go, go like, they're like, oh, see you, Ruben. Good luck next week. And he's like, oh, hang on. He's like, can I just say hello to the wife? Hi. And I look, gives the wife a hello on TV. It's so wonderfully. 
yeah. shit because like he's just like tough as like scary as bloke, right? And like they've only <laughs> gone to Melbourne for a game. He possibly saw his wife yesterday, <laughs> and he's like, hey, "I'm on TV." Like giving her a bit of that after his three yeah. hundredth NRL game. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's he thanks wonderful. some. I think he thanks some uncle or something as well, doesn't he? Yeah. I think he, yeah, he, he gives he, another yeah. shout out as well. I think yeah. yeah and Ruben. to a bloke named Duck, he starts That's thinking, right. "Hey, Duck," to some I don't know who Duck was, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's just you know, it's just wonderful to think after three hundred games he hadn't lost the urge to like give the wave to someone at home and go, "Look, I'm on TV." <laughs> yeah, that is good. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up. I had that as well. Like, yeah. It's um no, it's a wonderfully endearing result, and the Warriors from this, of course, then inexplicably have a home final the next week, which they win thirty to thirteen over the Roosters. Um, Melbourne win the great miracle over Brisbane sixteen fourteen. Um, so Melbourne could have they could have been out of contention after week two here, but they get home uh, over the Broncos sixteen fourteen up in Brisbane. They had an away game as well next week, mm. the following week. Melbourne, thanks very much. Um, <clears throat> They managed to get past Cronulla 28 0 in the preliminary final. Uh, Manly are a bit. 28 0. Yeah, over Cronulla. Good yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. And Manly beat the Warriors 32 6 in the other final and uh, and then beat Melbourne 40 0. So the poor old Storm, uh, having come all this way, uh, were unable to win a second successive premiership that they would have been stripped of. Um, but there you have it. Uh, Gazzy, any, any final thoughts? No, um, it's justice that they didn't go on to win the competition. Um, this game was a, a wonderfully enjoyable game, it wedged between two sort of mythical Warriors figures that don't feature in any of them. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It, it was uh, one of the rarely... This is a system we should never go back to. We shouldn't look <laughs> back on with any, with any fondness. No. But it did give us the very odd good day like this and like the Cowboys and the, and the, and the Bulldogs. We had the odd day like this that we can at least look, look back on with, with some fond memories. I couldn't have put it better than that. Uh, until next time, from the Rugby League Cemetery, Morgan Camden, Luke Garrity, signing off. A long way to travel to try and get at least one point. And two minutes and 20 seconds remain. Riccardi, you've been one for